0: Um, We've been through a lot of things, and this is installment four on this series, and it's been a very riveting series, and it's covered several topics, and tonight it covers a topic that is very, very relevant for today's world, Um, something that many times people skip over when they teach Ephesians. They generally tend to teach Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1 through 10, uh, because it has a lot of good nuggets in it, but... Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 through 22 has some things in it that need to be addressed especially in our culture uh, that people tend to want to skip over because it's a hot button issue uh, because it covers the issue of race and racism and and things of that and so many people uh, get a little, little uncomfortable uh, when they talk about those things but Paul is going to talk uh, today about how to deal with race and how to deal with culture because you have Two different cultures of people, and I tend not to use the word race uh, because technically there is only one race and there is the human race. But there are different ethnicities and there are different tribes, and many times there are ways that people try to relate to one another. And in this subject matter, Paul is actually talking— ...to the Christians in Ephesus. He's told them several things, and the Christians in Ephesus are not just Jewish. They are in a Greek town, uh, one of the major cities in Rome, uh, second only probably to Rome itself, with a big, huge tower to Artemis and a a temple to Artemis and doing several things. So uh, Paul has to deal with this, and he's also dealing with racial tension in the church right off, because when Jesus comes and creates the church, Jesus is Jewish. And so most of the followers that start are generally Jewish. And Paul will continue throughout the rest of his his preaching to deal with what you call Judaizers, people who have come over to Christianity. But they keep trying to pull people back over into Judaism and make them follow different feasts and things like that. And because of where they have been and who they are, the Jews tend to be sometimes a little arrogant because of their connection with God, because they um, have that had that place is God's chosen people as a matter of fact when they use Gentiles the word dog generally comes after it Uh, and that's what they think of Gentiles and uh, whether you know it or not we're Gentiles if you're not Jewish you're a Gentile and so they didn't have a very favorable look at the Gentiles but Paul has talked to this Gentile church and he has told them several things and we talked about that last week number one he talked about who we were that we were dead in our sins And that we had no hope and that we had no chance of restoration without Jesus Christ. But then he talks about what Christ did about him who is being rich and full in mercy has died for us to save our souls and to give us a chance at the tree of life. And he has secured our salvation for us. And then after that, he goes on to talk about what we are. And he begins to talk to this church and said that we are his poema. We are his masterpiece. We are God's poem. We are, when you look at us and where we were and where he has brought us from, it's the same as if somebody took a mold of junk and began to make out of nothing something and that we are God's beautiful poem. In other words, if we live the way God is wanting us to live, the fact that we are being saved and that he's taken a blackened soul that was in rebellion from God, how do you know that we were in rebellion for God because the Bible says that there was not one righteous no not one and no man seeks God no not one what does that mean that it was not our natural propensity to seek God but it was his natural propensity to seek us and so because he has sought us and purchased us with his blood and declared teloi that it is finished the debt has been paid and we are redeemed now he's given some great news to the church of Ephesus and immediately he began begins to say something. And what I believe he's saying is he's trying to let them know not to get too haughty and not to get too puffed up and not to get too proud because what he says first uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 starting at verse 11, he says this, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, uh, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. In other words, he's saying before you get too proud uh, in yourself, uh, without, before you get too high up, Remember from which you came. And that's a good lesson for us in Christendom today, because many times after we've been saved for a while, we start to look at other people a little funny because it's been so long since we sinned like they sinned, or at least that we think we've sinned like they've sinned. We have stuff in our hearts that we don't examine sometimes. But we look at those people and we'll tend to look at them a little bit off and a little bit keenly. And we'll see somebody with a cigarette in their mouth or see somebody doing something that doesn't seem, quote, unquote, godly. And if you're not careful, we'll get a little sneaky judgmental, won't we? And we'll, we'll, we'll begin to get on our high horse and think that we're better than those people. But Paul is reminding them right off after I've told you all this wonderful stuff about who you were, what he did, and now who you are. Remember that it wasn't too long ago that you didn't know anything about God at all. You weren't his chosen people. You didn't know anything about what he was doing, that you were far off and he uh, has decided in his richness and his mercy to pull you in. So verse 11 through 12, he reminds the Gentiles that they were disconnected from God. That should keep all of us with in the back of our mind that we can't get too high and we can't get too haughty because all of us came from the same place. And I, I like how Paul sets the stage in the book of Romans, starting about Romans chapter eighteen, one verse 18. And he starts to talk about the wrath of God being uh, a taken against all these people who take the truth of God and exchange it for wickedness and godliness and suppress the truth. Go ahead. Since you pulled it up, media team, they're already ahead of me. That's good. We got an excellent media team that wasn't even in the notes, but they pulled it up. Go ahead and pull up verse 19. I want you to read that. We'll go ahead and read that. And what it's telling them is since what may be known to God is plain to them because he has made it plain to them. In other words, God made some things plain to those people, even though They might not have known or saw God with their physical eyes. You could look in nature and see that they... Uh, That there was a God, rather. And because of that, you can look and you can see the wind blowing. If you know anything about physics, Albert Einstein said, there's no way to keep going into physics and not realize that there is intelligent design. Some people say Christianity is devoid of intelligence and and devoid of intellect, but it takes more intellect to be a Christian than it does to be anything else. I, I will submit to you that it takes more faith to believe that something just banged out of nowhere or that you can't came out of some slime somewhere, or that you developed from an ape, that takes way more faith without proof than it does to believe that we have intelligent design. And if you begin to study creation and you begin to study the things in the creation, even looking in math and what's called the golden theorem and looking how the world is so ordered and how it's so orderly, you cannot come to any other conclusion other than we have an intelligent design and we have been placed here by an intelligent creator. And so it's easy for us to forget that. And where I'm going with this train of thought is to let you know that Paul is talking in chapter 1 verse 18 of Romans about how those people left God and how they got haughty and professing themselves to be wise they became fools they got educated and became what my grandmother would call an educated fool grandmother used to love to use that that term for people who had a lot of education but not what we called in the south mother wit or common sense and and, and people just didn't have common sense and and my grandmother would say that these people became so wise that they became foolish and then they began to create their own own gods and their own ideas and their own philosophies and they became wicked and the closer they got to this demon worship like second corinthians chapter 10 will tell you uh or two verse 10 i believe it is that those who worship idols really worship demons the bible says that they begin to worship the created being and not the creator who was forever blessed amen and then it says god turned them over to reprobate lust or a reprobated mind to do those things which weren't expedient what does that mean god said since you're just dead set on this path to go away from me I'm going to turn you over to a mind to where wrong seems right and up seems down and I'm going to let you continue down this path of destruction and that it goes into many other details but what I wanted to highlight in this passage is that it begins to go into all sorts of things that mankind had done that were wicked as a matter of fact I think I want to take the time to go over there and stop for a second to read it because that goes right in line With What we're talking about. It's Romans chapter one. And I know that's not up there for our media team, but that's okay. If you're following online, you can stop and rewind and go back to it. Uh, But I want to read this. It says, furthermore, that since they did verse 28, not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, and deceit. And it begins to give all sorts of nasty things in here, murderers and strife and malice and God haters and senseless and faithless. There's a big long list disobedient to parents, and it says, although they knew God's righteousness decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things. In other words, Paul is saying they're still doing them today. They not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And if you take a time and read Romans chapter one, uh, verse 28 and come down or or 26 and come down, you'll read that list and you'll say, my goodness, those were some bad people. But the reason I read that is because I want to come up to Romans chapter two. Uh, verse 1 because Romans chapter 2, verse 1 starts and it says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment. Do the same things. There are a lot of people who haven't come to the church because we can be honest, the church has passed judgment and put out burdens for other people that they themselves could not carry and they crucified people for the sins that they could see while they hid theirs in secret and what Paul is saying in Ephesians is Gentiles don't get too haughty up because you need to remember although you're saved the other day you knew nothing about God but God has decided in his mercy you can't become spiritually arrogant or pride because it's only because of God's choice, not yours, that you are where you are. Hmm. Paul is not only going to help them with their theology, but he's also going to help them with their sociology, and he's going to talk just not about grace, but also about race. And Paul is helping the Ephesian church steer clear of pride. Why? Because spiritual pride can cause us to have an unbalanced view of our spiritual status. It can cause us blind spots in, in, in our quest. So if we forget from whence we came, we will have spiritual blind spots that we won't continue to grow. You won't grow if you think you've arrived. That's why Paul, who learned over 14 different languages, Paul, who was a Pharisee, a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin, Paul, who was a very highly intelligent man, Paul, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. You know what was one of his most famous sayings? He said, I have not yet apprehended. What does that mean in plain English? I still haven't got there yet. After all the stuff that I've learned about God, after seeing God on the Damascus road, even after being taken up into the third heaven, I'm still not there. I still haven't made it. That's why Jesus, we often quote this uh, verse, judge not lest ye not be judged. And Jesus talks about having, uh, trying to take a small speck out of somebody else's eye and, and then not having the ability to do it because you have a beam in your eye, he doesn't tell you not to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He says, if you read it correctly, he says, first, take the beam out of your eye and then you can see clearly to take the take the small speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you become spiritually arrogant, you are not only hurting yourself, but you're not able to help anyone else. And so Paul is saying to the the Ephesian church, remember from which you came. Now the Gentiles have pride because they put their pride in motivators and things such as status, and they put their pride in things such as accomplishment. The Jewish pride was quite different because they put their pride in their heritage. They put their pride in being better than the Gentiles. Oftentimes they get into it with Jesus, and they say, we don't need to talk to you. We're Abraham's seed. In other words, we're, we're the children of Abraham we don't we we already got it together we don't need anything you got to tell us and Jesus would look at him the nice Jesus that everybody says is always nice and always always kind he said uh, you're not of my father but you of your father the devil that doesn't sound very nice to me But what Jesus is letting them know, you can't put your pride in Abraham or your lineage where I come from. We have another colloquialism. My grandmother used to say this. I guess this is going to be grandma's Bible study tonight. But she used to say every tub has to stand on its own bottom. In other words, just because grandmother knew God and because mama knew God and other people knew God, that doesn't mean you get to get in off of theirs. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can't get in based off of anybody else's confession or testimony. And what he's literally saying to the Jews is don't get haughty because all of you guys are in the same place. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whether you be Jew, whether you be Gentile, you both need a savior you both need jesus Verse 13 allows us to know that the word of God brings us close, not just to God, but the cross of Christ brings us close to God and to each other. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. One of our goals at this church is to help those who are far from God to find him. And what this is letting us know is that God not only through his cross brings us close to him, but he brings us close to each other the temple courts were divided by walls. If you look at a, a model of the temple back in the day, they had different courts. They had places where women could go and at some point the women couldn't go beyond that point. And then they had, beyond that point, they had places in the space going toward the temple where the Gentiles or non-Jewish believers could go. And p- beyond that point, the Jewish believers could not go. They couldn't go past that point. And then they had a point where only the priests could go. And then they had a holy of holies where only the high priests could go doing certain ceremonial times that in other words in order to come to god ceremonial ceremonially there were different dividing lines in between and that's why it's important to note that when jesus died that the veil of the temple was rent and here's a, a cool fact that you may or may not know when the veil of the temple is rent the ark of the covenant isn't even in the temple. What does that mean? The ark of the temple uh, of the covenant signifies God's presence. And so that means it's possible to have a building that's dedicated to God and he's nowhere to be found. But the, 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 curtain that was going over the Ark of the Covenant was so tight and so wide that it said that two teams of oxen couldn't tear it apart, moving apart from one another. But that veil was torn when Jesus says, it is accomplished. Why? Because he's saying there is no need for blood of goats or oxen anymore. Because of my blood, you have full and complete access to me. You have full and complete access to God. You mean just to the Jews? No, to the Jews and the Gentiles. For the Bible in Romans 1 and 16 says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe First to the Jew, and then what? To the Gentile. In other words, God's chosen people were the Jews, but now God is doing something different. He's letting them know that there is no distinction. I'm bringing my people back together. He does this with Peter because Peter has a problem with racism. Did you know that? Peter has a problem with racism. As a matter of fact, Peter is that guy who has one ethnic friend. And how do you know that? Because Peter is hanging out with the Gentiles all the time. And all of a sudden, Paul shows up and Peter's too good to hang out with the Gentiles anymore. He he decides to pretend like he doesn't hang out with them because he doesn't want to get ostracized from his social clique. Sound familiar? Can we put that in American terms today? I'm pretty sure you can. That's as far as we'll go with that. But if you can't say amen, say ouch. And as a matter of fact, Paul hates it so much that he doesn't wait to pull Peter to his side. He confronts Peter to his face and says, this is wrong because God doesn't deal in what the bible would call partiality the bible doesn't talk about racism the bible talks about partiality which means esteeming one class of people above the other to whether it be by race but whether it be by class or socioeconomic status it is all wrong and Paul is basically in front of everybody saying oh you were good enough to eat pork chops last week but now you act like you don't know what they taste like now that your Jewish buddies have showed up now and you act like like you're completely kosher and it is wrong Because they have let cultural lines divide them, and they look down on the other culture. And Paul is saying that Christ has died, and that's going to go away. Both Jew and Gentile share a common bond. Romans 3 and 23 says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Romans 6 and 23. Uh, uh, Well, 3 and 23. And it also says in 6 and 23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But it also says that Romans 5 and 8 that God commends his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It does not matter if you're black. It does not matter if you're white. It does not matter if you're Mexican. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you came from a Hindu er origin or wherever you came from. Christ is available to all men. He broke the dividing line. He is a unifier. Let's look at chapter two, verse 14, and see what that says. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He has taken away not just the dividing wall that keeps us from getting to God, but also the dividing wall that helps keeps us from getting to each other. Dr. Martin Luther King would often say that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. Why is that? Because many times we have allowed our propensities to make us pulled apart. And we talk about a cross we do not really know. Because if you know the cross, the cross pulls all men to it. Regardless of race. Regardless of creed, regardless of where you come from, regardless of sex, whether you be male or female, that's what it means by there is now therefore male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. That doesn't have to do with the roles we play. That has to do with our spiritual status. That means no matter the pigmentation of your skin, God is worried about the pigmentation of your soul. And I'm glad David said that though my sins be as scarlet, he will make them white as snow that's what god is concerned with and what he wants to get get over to the jewish and gentile believers is that you need to get this stuff out of the way because if you do not deal with it it will tear the church up paul is one of the few people that ever meet people with the greetings if you look at paul's greetings in the bible and it's customary for jews to say shalom Uh, Or to say peace be unto you. But if you see most of Paul's letters, he uses two different words. He'll often say grace and peace from God our Father. He is giving a blessing not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles when he talks about grace. In other words, God has brought us all together so there should be no separation among us it should not matter what how much money i have in my pocket or am i darker or lighter or you taller or shorter all of us are one in christ jesus all of us are one in christ jesus why we have a race problem in america is because we have a sin problem in america Why we have a race problem in America is because our churches have not dealt with the things they need to deal with on the inside. We watched our churches. It's one thing if I go to Africa and everybody in there is African. There's not many other people in Africa, but Africans, unless you see South Africans. If I go to China and everybody in China is there and the church is Chinese, I don't don't think a second thing of it because everybody there looks Chinese. But if I'm in a neighborhood that's pretty predominantly mixed and I only see one color of people in the church, there's a problem with that church if I come into a church and everybody is following the same political party there's a problem in that church because what we're saying is only people who think like me are welcome here that's what the Jews said and we have to be careful in the church not to say only Democrats are welcome here Only Republicans are welcome here. If that made you mad, you may be worshiping at the altar of politics. And if you can't say amen, say ouch. Only rich people are welcome here. Only people with high titles are welcome here. Or these type of people. We're the young and happening church. And we only want young people at our church that, that can dance and cut a step. Or we don't want to deal with those foolish young people. We want people that are dignified and, and that they, don't, they don't act like, like, like ruffians. If that's how your church looks, that's a problem if that's not the cross cut uh, or the cross cut of the culture of where you are. Every church should mirror its community. If your community is diverse, your church should be diverse. If your community is not diverse, that's probably a clear indicator that you are using a worm and not a net. What do I mean by that? There's two ways to fish. I grew up in the country and we would fish, we'd get these old cane poles. And, and when we get these cane poles, we dig in the ground and we were sharpshooters, and we pull up worms because we wanted to catch a certain type of brim and catfish. And we put that worm on there because that's the type of fish that we wanted to catch. And sometimes as you got fancy and you wanted to catch some bass or trout, you would get lures and whatever lure you put on there was determining what kind of fish you wanted to catch. And I'm afraid that's what we do in church sometimes. Sometimes the pulpit has been guilty of preaching too much Republicanism, and preaching too much of this and preaching too much of that because we're trying to bait the hook to pull certain types of people. But when Jesus fished, he never fished with a hook. He fished with a net. And a net catches everybody. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you believe. A net catches everybody. It doesn't. And if you feel comfortable around everybody and you never have to have uncomfortable conversations with people to learn more outside of your sphere, chances are that you need to challenge your. Self, reach out to somebody who is not like you reach out to somebody who does not think like you and stop demonizing and demoralizing that person and try to find a way to pull them to Christ because Christ is the common denominator. It doesn't matter what your political ideology is, but if I can pull you to the cross, guess what? You will start to line up with biblical principles and then your biblical principles will determine what political party you are in or how you vote. But America needs to hear this message. Why? Because we have worshipped at the altar of the donkey and at the altar of the of the elephant too long. And many churches are broken and divided. Because we're separated by class, political party and race. And it's not of God. Obviously, that's not the church in which we're in, seeing as most of you don't look like me. (laughs) we're a little bit different and we're a little bit of an enigma but that should not be the exception that should be the what norm is this helping anybody tonight for this reason for himself For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two. As a matter of fact, I think that's so powerful. We need to read that together. Let's read that. Ready? Read. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. No Gentile God, no Jewish God, no white church, no black church, no Hispanic church, just the church. His goal was to unify. His whole purpose was unity. If this makes you uncomfortable, shout hallelujah. Don't do that. (laughs) If you don't say anything, if you don't say anything, they won't know. So that Christ, let's, oh, wow. And in verse 16, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, I think we need to read that together because that that is that's powerful. Uh, We're going to read some tonight. Let's read. Ready? Read. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So why are we still fighting amongst ourselves? Could it be because we're at other altars, than instead of being at the foot of the cross, if we're still in the church fighting over certain things, that means that we don't know the true nature of the cross, which we say we believe in. Hmm. Pull that scripture back up, media team. I've trained them well. They already got it down. We want to read verse seven. Y'all ready? He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He preached peace to the Jews who were near and to the Gentiles who were far away. He came and preached to those who grew up, whether your mother was in the church and your father was in the church and your great grandfather was in the church and your great great grandfather was in the church. And you can't remember a time when when you didn't go to church. You're like me. You cut your teeth on the pews and you were always raised in the church. But that doesn't mean that we can look down on those whose parents have never been because God will send people in your midst who don't know anything about church. And you can't be looking funny when he does it because they're not going to know when to sit up, when to sit down and when to stand. They're going to say stuff at awkward times that seems awkward to you during the service. Don't look at them crazy. They're going to do things that don't fit church protocol, and it's going to weird you out. There's nothing wrong with, with them if they're weirding you out. There's something wrong with you because you should be more concerned about their soul than them not knowing. I like it when people show up to church and they don't know anything about the church. You know why? Because they haven't learned all the bad habits, even though they hadn't learned anything else either. Because we learn in church how to be real faith. Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. argue all, right, all the way home. All the way in the car. Get out. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. How are you doing today? God bless you. I I got healing in my body. I'm so glad that I'm saved and sanctified, Holy Ghost filled and fire baptized. And I'm running for my life. And you leave here and somebody cut you off in traffic and you start speaking in an unknown tongue. That's not the right unknown tongue. And you wave hands, but they're not holy. If you don't cut me off one more time, I got something for you. Or you get on the phone and start gossiping or allow... Uh, or allow sadness and sickness and depression and things against the will of God and get out of faith. The Bible says without faith is it possible to please the Lord. And then you start walking in things that are not in faith and your faith decreases. And, and, and we learned how to be fake. And that's why a lot of millennials, do you know, when they survey most millennials, one of the reasons they don't come to church is because they say it's not genuine. I see a bunch of people living a life that I could never live and it's not real. What they really don't realize is that those people aren't living those lives either. They're all sinners saved by grace and we're all imperfect and we all have problems. It might be that I'm a few steps down the, uh, up ahead of the road than you but the truth of the matter is I'm like Paul I have not yet what apprehended we can reach more people if we reach back to pick them up and say hey I've been where you've been. I can't tell you how far to go because I haven't got there yet but if you'll just walk while I'm walking at least you can get where I'm getting. That's called discipleship. And that's what God has really called the church to not for us to be comfortable seeing the same old people every Sunday. God is not happy with us seeing the same old people every Sunday. He's calling us to reach the lost and teach the found and change the world and to get out of our comfort zones and reach somebody for Christ. And God doesn't have a retirement age. You don't get to stop at 67. Be faithful unto what? Death. This is a heavy message. But I believe it's a necessary message for the body of Christ. And you might say, well, this might not be for us. Well, there are other people that are listening to this message and will listen to this message beside us. And my prayer now is that the Holy Spirit will touch their hearts and that it will be very impactful. This message is for all that the cross is available to all. It doesn't matter who you are. The cross is available to you. And Christ is our unifier and the linchpin of our unity. We are all connected through Christ. We are, however, not monolithic, but we are all unique, and our uniqueness makes us important. Although we are unified, which means we have the same goal, we are not uniform, which means that we don't all look the same. We don't all think the same. We don't all act the same. I'll take Brother Bob back there. Brother Bob and I, we both like to build things. Brother Bob and I got together. It took us all day, and we had a good time. But we only put four boys up (laughs) the entire day. Why? Because our personalities are different. And Brother Bob's worried about the experience and talking. And I enjoy talking to Brother Bob and doing that. But when Brother Bob came back, there was a ton of stuff. And he said, how did you get this done? Because my personality is cut and dry. Get this done. Get that done. Get this done. But guess what? We took both of our personalities and put them together and made something beautiful. That's what God wants the church to do. To reach out to people and say, I don't know anything about you. I don't know anything about your culture or where you come from, but I want to learn. Because God made you just like he made me, and his beauty is on the inside of you. And I want to be unified with Christ by being unified with you. We're almost done. Is this helping anybody? Amen. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Jesus. Consequently, verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Why is that important We're going to get to that in a second. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit, we are all conjoined by the cornerstone. Every building has a cornerstone or an apex. If you built an arch and an arch was known during the Roman times, it's probably one of the most stable, uh, stable things of its day. As a matter of fact, some Roman arches still stand in aqueducts still stand today and they will build those arches and in the center of it they will put a center or a cornerstone we symbolically put cornerstones on buildings now and what it does it joins two parts together but it also relieves the pressure from both parts so the weight from this one pushes against this one and they both are held together by the cornerstone in the center what am i trying to say god is calling for a day for a church that is not black or white tall or rich or poor god is to Calling from a church that looks like everybody, and we're all held together not because of our common beliefs and experiences, but we're held together because we all love Jesus Christ. You may serve Him loudly, you may worship Him loudly, I may sit and stand and be quiet, but we're both able to come together, even though you like country Southern gospel and I like CCLI and Maverick City or gospel music. We can put all those differences to the side because we come together for the common goal of Jesus Christ. Christ and him crucified and having somebody else to know Christ like I know him like Paul said oh that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that we all come together and there was a song where I come from that said oh when all God's children get together what a time what a time we're gonna sit down by the banks of the river when all of God's children get together no more Jew no more Gentile, nor Greek, nor bond, nor free. I love being at this church because it's so diverse and I love everybody. And it does not matter. I came from the heart of the South. I'll never forget Miss Mabel. Mabel Evans, one of the sweetest people you ever meet in your life. She was at the hospital. And I had just gotten here. And if you could, if you could picture when I first got here, I, I'll tell this. I looked at Miss Mabel. She was sitting underneath a tree. And I'm from the South, and I walked up, and I see this 80-plus-year-old white lady, and the first thing that came to my mind is, hmm, when is she going to like me? I'm I'm, I'm just being honest. And I I looked, and she seemed sweet, and she came to be so sweet to me. And and one day she went to the hospital, and it was the most beautiful picture you could see. Not because she was in the hospital, but her children had gone. They had gone from the emergency room, and I was looking for Miss Mabel in the back, and I was new to Royal Oak, and I didn't know anything about Beaumont. So here this young black guy is walking around all confused, looking for Miss Mabel. And I see this lady that moves Miss Mabel out into the hallway, and I see her. me being country and having no sense at all. I just say, Hey, Miss Mabel. <laughs> and this woman looks and she looks down at Miss Mabel. Then she looked back up at me. Then she looked back down to Miss Mabel and she looked back up at me. And finally she says, you know him? <laughs> and she says, yeah, baby, that's my pastor. He's such a wonderful pastor and a good man of God. She looks back down at Miss Mabel. (laughs) And she looks back up at me. (laughs) And she looks back down at Miss Mabel. And she looks back at me and she says, That's your pastor? And she said, yeah, baby, and you ought to come to our church sometime. He sure can go. And, and most people would look over that. But what that woman was seeing was a picture of Christ where you see a, a, a young lady who's in her 80 plus and, and she's a white lady and a young black guy coming together. And there's no difference. And where the world might see a difference, we didn't see one at all. We were hugging and just getting along. Why? Because we're conjoined by Christ and all the other stuff just doesn't matter. There will always be offenses, yes. There are things that have happened in the context of the United States and which have caused problems that the church and the world need to deal with. We can't just sweep them under the rug and say, can we just move on? No, we can't just move on. We have to stop and we have to deal with some of the things that have been caused. And we can't pretend that they didn't happen. Slavery did happen in America. Those things did happen. Uh, uh, Internment camps for the Japanese did happen in America. We can't pretend that these things didn't happen. There were a lot of things that we did. And to be honest, they happened in the church And most of the people in the church, even if they didn't contribute to them, they contributed by omission because they went along just to get along. Because they didn't want any trouble. And they were just as guilty. Because God called us to speak out. We have to acknowledge those things and we have to deal with them, but we can't stay there forever. There has to be a point where we say that it's time to heal and it's time to move forward and we can't do anything about the past, but we can work together for a beautiful future. And that's why I love being at this church, because it's so diverse. Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Greece, Tanzania, Jayless brought a beautiful, beautiful word of encouragement Sunday. I went in one day to Jayless's uh, place of business where she was working, and I heard Jayla saying, oh, come in, Pastor. I wish I had that African accent. It makes everybody want to listen to you. It's just a wonderful accent. And, and she was talking on the phone. Nobody was in her store today. And she says, she stops and she starts speaking in Swahili to these people. I said, Jayless, who are you talking to? She says, oh, I'm doing a prayer study. I'm talking to people all over the country. There were probably maybe 60 to 200 people on this call. And Jayless is leading a prayer call and preaching the gospel to her culture and and to those people who wouldn't understand me because I don't speak. Swahili, I only speak limited Tecewa, and I don't know that many people here from Malawi, but if you are from Malawi, I can I can try to proselytize you in, in, in Chewa. But she's speaking this beautiful language, and she's able to reach the people of her culture, but she's also able to come in here in this church and to be able to reach our hearts as well. Why? Because we're unified by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're just like snowflakes. No one of us is the same, and if we were, life would be born I appreciate the differences in us. It's time for the church to stand up. And start to not be silent about the things that we've been silent about for years. It's time for the church to stand up. And be proactive and make a difference. I'm encouraging you if you're listening to this by podcast or YouTube or Facebook. Or if you're in this room. Reach out to somebody who's not like you. Think about those kindness cards. I've handed out a couple. And Robin, they handed out one the other day to a a gentleman. They handed that out to him with a tip. By the way, if you hand out a kindness card, it's nice if you hand it out with something that's nice so so people would know. Uh, Don't be cheap when you hand it out is what I'm saying. Be generous. You don't have to give money every time you give one, but we were out, and they saw a gentleman, and we were at this gigantic mall, and he was just working his fingers to the bone, and he was in a thankless job. He was just working, in a, uh, working there, picking up all the lunch plates in the, in the food court, and while I was off watching the kids, Robin and Haley came back excited and said, guess what we did? And I said, what? They said, we gave him a card. And we gave him a tip and just to see his face light up that somebody thought about him. And he looked and he said, oh, you're a church. He was excited. That's what people should think of when they think of the church. They should not just see us needing you to do something for us, but us coming to do something for you because God has called us to be salt and light in the world and to make a difference and to make change. And just a simple kind word or reaching out to somebody who's not like you can make all the world. Of difference. So as we finish today. In him, the whole building is joined together, verse 21, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the spirit. In the old days, God dwelt in a temple built by men. That's where God's glory was held, and God's glory was seen, and the Shekinah glory, and the presence of God was seen. And no man could go in there except for certain fe- ceremonial feast times. Why? They would tie bells around the high priest as he went in there to put blood in between the wings of the seraphim on the holy of holies. Why? Because if he wasn't right, he was dead, and nobody else was stupid enough to go in there after him. So when the bell stopped ringing, they would just pull him out. They wouldn't even go in there themselves. In this place where it was dedicated for the most holiest place of God, the most sacrosanct place, God's temple. Now you guess what? The Bible says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of you. It's not hard to love yourself. It shouldn't be hard for me to love Brother Dave because the same spirit that lives on the inside of him lives on in the inside of me. We're connected by blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. So as we close tonight and I pray for us to leave, I want you to ask yourself, Holy Spirit, how are you leading me? How are you guiding me? What are you saying to me individually? How are you challenging me? I've been trying to find a way to get a sign to put outside uh, that's big enough. I want to put on the wall. What doesn't challenge you won't change you because God has called in the church to be challenged so we can change and make an impact. Today, as we pray, if you need something, just raise your hands to heaven. If you're listening by Soundwave or by YouTube or Amazon or all of the other podcasting uh, mediums that we're now going into, I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that he died for you and I want you to know that there's nothing you've done that his blood won't cleanse if you'll just give your life to him he doesn't care how much money you have where you came from he doesn't care where you've been or what you've done if you feel him tugging you answer there's a song that says when he calls me I will answer When he calls me. I will answer. When he calls me. I will answer. I'll be somewhere listening. For my name. When he calls me. I will answer when he calls me I will answer when he calls me I will answer I'll be somewhere listening for my name I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Oh, I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. God, we come to you thanking you for your grace and your peace and your mercy. And I pray that all who are under the sound of my voice will feel the power of your spirit speaking to their hearts and creating life lasting change. Father, help us as we embark on our journey to reach the lost to teach the found and change the world one life at a time bless all those who are under the sound of my voice and set them free and deliver i declare now in the name of jesus that as these your people we go that they are blessed in the city in the field in the country when they come and when they go and that everywhere the sole of their foot shall tread shall be blessed in jesus name amen, amen. give god a hand clap of prayer.